We all think about what we eat. We plan our meals or count carbs or do any number of other things when it comes to what we put in our bodies. But do you ever think about the flavor of what you consume? Sure you do. What we eat or drink either tastes good or it doesn't. In fact, taste is the number one consideration in what we consume. Yet, there's more to it than just like or dislike. And there's even a whole industry dedicated to it. Flavor is memory. Flavor is feeling. Flavor is science. Flavor is art. Flavor is Fona. Welcome to Fona's Flavor University podcast, where we explore the science, artistry, and industry behind flavor. Today's guests are here to discuss a topic that puts us in the mood for food. More specifically, what foods we eat that make us feel different emotions. We welcome Kaylin Cook and Heather Farnham, both senior applications technologists at Fona. Hi, guys. Welcome. Hey, Corey. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks. So if you may not have picked it up from the beginning, but uh, our topic today is mood trends in the flavor industry. So let's have you guys start by introducing yourselves and then we'll roll on from there. So Kaylin, if you wouldn't mind going first. Hi, my name is Kaylin Cook and I'm a senior application technologist here at Bona and I have been here for about six years and work on bar applications. So if you think protein bars, granola bars, fruit and nut style bars, I'm the person who does those type of applications. My name's Heather. I'm also a senior application technologist. I've been with Fona, oh gosh, going on 12 years now. It doesn't seem like it. It's been a, a wild ride. Uh, I started in the grain applications team and moved into a um, subject matter expert in the cereal category, as well as moving into some more fun trends in cannabis and the healthcare side of things as well. Now, I noticed you guys both have senior in your title. So do, what do you start out as? Like you started as like baby flavor applications or like how, how did you get into this job is more what I'm going for. Um, I think the titles have changed a little bit over our time here, but you technically usually start as just applications or application tech, and then you work your way up from applications to applications to, to senior applications technologists. And so it's just a tiered structure. Mm, yeah. When I first started, it was lab tech, senior lab tech, application technologist, senior application technologist. So it changes. I mean, we all still do the same thing. In my opinion, we all are on the same level. We just get more fun things to do and more leadership roles, which is really great. You guys totally level up, like just, I mean, video game style. I can just see it. You know, some <laughs> days you're mixing potions like Snape and Harry Potter. And the next day, you know, you're just the potions master or whatever. But Final boss. <laughs> <laughs> So what, what we're here to talk about today is is flavor and mood, right? So let's let's talk about those two things together. I mean, I'm I'm so I'm really actually very excited to talk about this because I am definitely you know a comfort food kind of guy. I'm definitely a eat when I'm happy or you know have that nice little secret stash for when I'm not feeling so good. But let, let's talk about that. What what is this category that we're dealing with here? What kind of moods do foods produce? When I think about mood, there's kind of two areas that I think about, mood management as well as mood evoking. And when you think about moods, there's the management in terms of functionality of the foods that you ingest. So there's a lot of foods that can help create a good mood as well as relaxation, those types of um, more functional ingredients that flavors can pair with, accentuate, and actually help. And then you look at more mood evoking, which has a lot more to do with cues. And that can 
include colors as well. So if you feel or see a certain color, it brings back a memory as well as aromas are specifically are very important when it comes to mood evocation. But colors and moods and flavors kind of go hand in hand. When you think of a calming, relaxation type of feeling, you were looking at more of your lavenders and your dark colors, dark berries and purples. When you want something invigorating, you look at those bright yellows and oranges and greens with your citruses and things like that. So So they say you eat with your eyes. So obviously you must eat with your mood as well, I would assume, because, I mean, if you're talking about flavors and colors and, and moods and whatnot, why don't we discuss, you know, what kind of flavor trends go along with these things? Kaylin, do you have any input on that? Yeah, so what we're seeing a lot in the trends area to to break it down to simpler, we're seeing people going after sleep claims or calming claims or to promote happiness or energy or to feel refreshed and energized. And these span the market and products. So if you think about a gummy or a vitamin, they have active ingredients in them like reishi mushrooms or matcha green tea to give you those calming or energizing effects. And then um, bars and chocolates, they could have added caffeine to add energy. And then if you look even more into beverage, they have sleepy time tea. Like that's like one that's been around forever. Everyone could say, oh yeah, I love to drink a cup of tea before I go to bed because it just makes me relaxed and ready to wind down for the day. Sounds like my father-in-law, who's a big chamomile tea, sleepy time tea drinker, you know, it doesn't matter time of the day, just that's his go-to. That's his jam when he needs to go to sleep. Um, also, like, remember when people used to be like, oh, you used to have a warm glass of milk kind of thing? Like, that, I never understood that. Like, that kind of mood never hit me when I when I was about to go to sleep. Oh, gosh, I used to drink hot cow milk. That sounds great. No, that sounds disgusting. Really? And I think uh, milk consumption in the way of, like, Animal dairy is down, so the plant dairy is up. So I can't see many uh, millennials or Gen Zs going to bed with a warm cup of milk. You know, and I was, it's funny you should say like the discrepancy in generations. So I'm looking at these figures here and I see that 35 to 44 year olds, that's my age range. When I compare that to, say, the 65 plus here, only 60% of people agree that what they eat impacts their emotional well being. What causes that difference? What is it about, you know, people my age? I guess you call us what? Are we late millennials? I'm 38. Gen, yeah, Gen Xels. I'm, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a young millennial. I'm like right at the cusp in 1993. But I could say, I don't know, Heather and I were talking about this a little bit where we're labeled as kind of the softer generation or the generation that might be more in tune with our emotions. And that could be partially how our parents raised us or the environments that we grew up in. Whereas maybe some older generations had more siblings in the house. They didn't get as much attention. So they had to be a little bit tougher. So Now, I know, Heather, you touched on this a little bit with, you know, food kind of affecting the negatives and the positives and what you eat can make you feel better or worse or whatever. You know, what is it about the the 35 to 44 year olds? What are they consuming to make themselves feel these these good feelings or to make themselves feel better? And conversely, what are they, you know, eating that's maybe not so good for their good feels, so to speak? Yeah. So I think that comes back to that whole nostalgia 
for good mood versus like mood enhancing. So you have like your indulgent nostalgia versus your feel good, healthy choices. And I think with this newer generation, or we're not really new anymore, but around this generation, it's very exploratory. And there's a lot of interest in trying a lot of new things. There's also a correlation to a decrease in alcohol consumption as well that goes along with this. So they're looking for ways to still have, like we're seeing that in the cocktail industry, there's a lot of mocktails so that there's a really big emphasis on feeling good. And whether that comes from functional, healthy foods that, you know, raw materials, ingredients, vegan versus having a nostalgic kind of indulgence that can be paired. And I think we're seeing a lot of trends with that kind of convergence of that functionality and healthy and good for me with that comfort feeling of nostalgia. I got to say that nostalgia hits it right on the head. I mean, my age, I'm dying for nostalgic things. I think that's possibly why, you know, the the comic book movie is doing so well, you know, and they're bringing back, you know, He-Man to Netflix, I think later this month, and the five-year-old me is going crazy. <laughs> you know, the other thing that you mentioned here is kind of, you know, the nostalgic flavors of your youth. Well, I'm thinking in my head when I, when I hear that or read that, you know, I hear like people are doing more fruit flavors or fruit forward kind of thing. Uh, they remain kind of a staple maybe from what I read in this material. And it makes me think of those ice pops, you know, the ones that like, you cut the tops off of, and then if you don't, you know, eat them correctly, you get the Joker smile <laughs> when you, when you take yeah. them out. You know, why is fruit such a staple? Is that something ingrained in our in our well being, or is that just back to the nostalgia of maybe you know my nostalgia? Um, I can say so. If you think about those ice pops and the nostalgia, <laughs> it's one of those candied berry profiles. So it takes you back to being that little kid sitting on the front step eating your popsicle and so you're soaking in the sun and so it kind of brings back that youth whereas if you swing it the pendulum to the other way of more of that fresh berry or it has like more notes of being fresh and healthier it adds that healthy halo aspect so it's just tying it back to how the person perceives the berry perception and the fruit portion of that specifically is just something that just holds on tight for almost every generation. Is that is that a fair statement? Yeah. And I mean, you can look at aromas and colors with fruit as well. It's very vivid. It's very bright. As we were talking about, you know, you taste and you have memories with your eyes. So fruits are very vivid in color. And so having that cue of color with mood, you automatically have a heightened mood from just looking at, you know, some really bright fruits. Fruit also has mass appeal, so it appeals to kids and older adults. So if you're looking to put something into the market, fruit is kind of safe in the way that a child will gravitate to strawberry and an older person. It's kind of all generation or all family. And it kind of makes you feel good, right? So it kind of makes, you know, you as, as a parent, I see fruit and I automatically think, you know, oh, that's probably good for my child. You know, it's right up there with vegetables. And I know, you know, people aren't down with the veggies these days, mm -hmm. these days, at least my kid's not, but she'll be more apt to eat a piece of fruit. And I'm good with that. But why does, why does good matter? Is it good for you that matters or is it just good in flavor that matters? I think that's a fine balance of both. And especially in today's world of where there's the healthy halos or the better for you's wanting to consume something that was good for your health, but also tastes good. 
you're walking a fine line. So if you have a product on the market that has the best nutritionals and has all these claims of vegan, plant-friendly, and uh, it tastes terrible, you're not going to sell your product. So flavor is always important no matter what claim you're trying to make and or what mood you're trying to evoke. Yeah, when I think kind of tying those two together, when I think about good mood, you think, again, going back to the nostalgia versus functional. So cinnamon is one of those flavor profiles that is very nostalgic from people. You think like Cinnabon back in the mall and you're like, oh my gosh, just the smell of a Cinnabon just brings back great memories. And so you see that as a nostalgic indulgence. But when you look at now, there's a lot of new functional ingredients and a lot of these turmerics and black peppers and even cinnamon um, is more touted to kind of boost the brain and um, actually help with focus. And so kind of touching on being able to tout those good for you aspects of these nostalgic, good tasting, good memory uh, flavors is kind of interesting. And that goes along with even, you know, cinnamon itself can be considered invigorating if you get like a red hot cinnamon and have those cues of the red, again, is more of that energetic cue. So we're making a lot of good points here. We're talking a lot of flavors that make us feel positive feeling, you know, in, inside and give us positive feedback and nostalgia. But there's, there's one thing that I'm never in the mood for, and that's a diet. I, I am just terrible when it comes to diet food. And I know that like, you know, sometimes diet foods are synonymous with tasting bad. What, what is, what flavors are going to put me in the mood to actually feel like dieting or maybe help me with my diet? So it's not necessarily about appealing to the diet. Today's consumer doesn't have to choose between a diet lifestyle and sacrificing taste in the product. We can develop something that meets their dietary needs such as a low sugar, high protein, and uh, functional ingredients, and choosing flavors that evoke the moods that go with whatever they're looking for. So as a consumer, I need to choose the foods that will make me want to diet. It's not so much making a flavor that's going to make me be like, oh, that's, you know, I'm totally going to eat that all the time, and I'm going to lose so much weight. It's more of, I need to pick and choose the things that make me feel good about dieting. Yeah. I mean, you can look into where a lot of the market products are nowadays. We're seeing a lot of healthier bars and even keto cereals are huge. So they fit into that healthier keto friendly diet, but still have that, you know, I remember back when I was a kid, my, you know, fruity, loopy cereals, I can still get that, but now I'm eating it in a more healthier role. So like having a raspberry jelly donut keto cereal, I'm still getting that little bit of indulgence, but I'm choosing a healthier version of that same indulgence. So it it fits into not necessarily a diet, but just choosing a similar but healthier version of what you're craving. That's also what my doctor says. <laughs> Coincidentally. So I got to think that with, you know, all these health flavors and healthy living and lifestyles, I mean, people probably started these things and then COVID hit, right? And I'm sure that when COVID hit, everybody went back to, you know, at first it was like comfort foods and, you know, whatever. How did COVID change, you know, the mood when it came to flavor and snacking and say, you know, what are the feel good flavors out there? 
So COVID definitely affected everyone differently, but some of the biggest trends or things that we saw was that there was an uptick in snacking. So there wasn't just three meal parts a day. People were going to snack to make them happy or fill a void. Then there was also the person who's baking or trying to connect with the community. And then there's also a big uptick in immunity products. So the people that have the stick packs that have the added vitamin D and vitamin E to boost your immunity and give you that blanket of I'm consuming this to help prevent myself from getting sick and help others around me all kind of wrapped up into people's consumption of different products during COVID. Now, it's funny that you bring up the people who are coming together to kind of work through this and whatnot. I think definitely people were using food to come together. And I think, you know, obviously that's that's another mood enhancer through food. You know, there were there were people, you know, doing bread circles. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, did you guys do that? Did you did you like pass the, uh, you know, the bag of, of bread mix from one to the other? Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard of that? No, our team did a virtual chopped cocktail competition that was really fun. Um, So during like the winter, we weren't able to do our normal Christmas party. So we got together via teams and we were given a certain number of ingredients to use. And we had to put together a kind of fun mocktail and then explain it and pitch it and market it. And it was it was really fun. So, yeah, I agree. There's still a lot of room for during COVID for people to still kind of find ways to get together through food. Now, going forward, you know, Cameron, you touched on this, that people are focusing more on healthy trends, obviously, because we all want to stay as healthy as we can, you know, stay away from that Delta variant that's going on now. What what are the healthy trends that are happening? So there's like immunity boosting packs. So like drink stick packs that you put into water that you drink. And then there are also you could take gummies or you consume them in a gummy format. And then other things that we're seeing are just even in the bar space. So there's specifically targeted to we want immunity and we want it for the midday part. So targeting people's needs of wanting to meet immunity, but meeting the needs of wanting the day part of this is my afternoon pick me up, but I also wanted to give me that boost or give me that immunity against getting sick. And I think with that comes the push and trend for personalized health. There is an interesting trend that I think will be um, increasing with blends of different adaptogens and neurotropics, as well as CBD, to kind of have a personalized approach to specific needs that you're looking for when it comes to different balancing your hormones or decreasing stress or just improving your, you know, your mental health. Having these newer product types, like she mentioned, gummies, stick packs, things like that, but also having that functionality being personalized is is a big push, I think, moving forward. So moving, you know, kind of into a different area of feeling better, companies are now deciding to go towards CBD. Let's talk about that. Like, what is what is the mood enhancement of CBD? How does that affect flavor and mood? Yeah, CBD has boomed. I mean, this is definitely a category. Cannabis in general is a uh, an area that has grown very significantly over the last several years. And it's kind of interesting because there's ways 
again, with mood management through the use of different types of CBD, um, as well as there's continuing growth of newer strands and newer types of CBD that we actually just released in a trend report uh, recently that kind of delves into that a little bit further. But when you think CBD, the majority of the time it's considered to help with mood, decreasing anxiety. And so with COVID, people reaching out to have finding ways of relaxation, um, CBD came along with that. But there's also people that use it in different avenues like post-workout or even pre-workout. And so kind of pairing those flavor cues with the intent of your consumer is really beneficial. So if you're trying to do like a CBD melatonin, um, more relaxation blend, going with your lavenders, your darker berries, and color cues like your purples would be a lot more focused for that specific customer. But then you can also look at more of the blending with your omegas or your BCAAs and having the brighter citrusy and kind of tropical profiles. So just in general, I think the cannabis industry is kind of starting to become similar to the beverage industry and showing trends in flavor pairings as well as mood pairings. So you're looking at your pick-me-ups versus your zens and then also indulgence. So when I'm hearing CBD, I'm thinking like mellow, you know, I'm thinking it's going to, you know, just if I'm post-workout, you know, I'm looking for something to bring me back down off that high. Is is it always to mellow you out or is it more of, you know, it depends on what it's with or is there a time where it could, you know, give me energy or, you know, feed me a little, a little bit of energy? Yeah, I think so. It doesn't necessarily only cause relaxation. It can also help with anxiety. And so when you're looking at personalized health options, you can add different functional ingredients that pair with it to help for different day parts and different needs. So CBD itself is touted to help with a lot of things, even including nausea and helping people with eating, especially with, you know, It's not fully verified yet, but it has been seen to show for cancer patients to help them with their appetite and nausea. And so there's a lot of functional aspects of CBD that can be paired with those other cues for other areas of needs, including cognitive function and gut health, things like that. And you mentioned self-care. Now, is CBD going into self-care products too? And, you know, what's, is that to promote a feeling of oneness with yourself or is that to promote a feeling of being grounded? What What is that for? So yeah, CBD in terms of self-care, it's topical and edible. And so um, when you're looking at self-care, hangover is one of those biggest things right now that we're seeing a huge push for. And so yeah, with CBD being introduced to these other avenues, it can be considered a self-care product. You know what they say, treat yourself, right? Yeah. Right? You got it. <laughs> yeah, I got to do that every now and again. So, you know, if I am going to treat myself, what flavors are going to give me that mood of feeling better or, you know, that I've been good to myself? I'd say if you have like the gingers or the turmerics, those are more, I'd say, in the homeopathic or the natural realm. So they're accepted of having good digestion health with ginger and turmeric is good for relaxation. Tea is one of those interesting ones too across the board. Like tea just has a healthy halo to it. But when you pair it with a flavor, you can create different types of moods. So like we talked about the chamomile tea, the sleepy time, that 
evokes more of a zen-like, but then you can add more of a zesty or a yuzu or a ginger or a different type of tea to kind of give that, I'm still, you know, healthy berries, things like that with your tea to promote that feel good. We have obviously moods that fluctuate from good to bad and whatnot. Are there certain foods or tastes or flavors that we need to stay away from in order, to, you know, in order to keep those bad feelings at bay? What, what makes us feel bad when it comes to eating, a, you know, food? If you want to go down a history route, you can look at how the just over time generations of humans have avoided certain notes because they were deemed poisonous or not good for me. So bitter things, overly sour things just kind of trigger that almost innate primal like, oh, I should, probably should not be eating this um, because it might be bad for me without you even thinking sometimes that can happen. So roughage or um, <laughs> I call it roughage, but even like your kales, even though it, it's a internal battle because it has those bitter metallic notes that your body's like, ah, oh, this is probably not good for me, but you know that it has all of those added um, vitamins and minerals and all the good stuff for you. So, so no metallic notes. So no wonder vampires are always upset. Yeah. Mm, that makes <laughs> sense now. Makes perfect sense. So I'll tell you a flavor that makes me feel bad, and you guys can, we've covered this on several different podcasts. <laughs> I can't stand, and it actually makes me a little upset, the, the flavor or the smell of mint. Mm -hmm. I used to go on long car rides and with my parents when I was younger, and my mother would just pop a piece of, like, mint-flavored gum in her mouth and just, I, I call it hotboxing the car. <laughs> Cause it would just smell so, and I would just, I'd have to pop the window open. So, so what flavors, you know, obviously staying away from mint is fine, but is there any way I can sneak mint in my diet? Cause we talked about gut health, right? And I know that mints can help, you know, with nausea and settling stomachs and whatnot. Is there anything that has like a hint of mint in it that I won't notice that'll increase my mood of being happy, you know, not feeling sick? From a development standpoint, we use mints and peppermints all the time at low levels that you wouldn't perceive to give a cooling or relaxation effect. So just another added complexity to your flavor. So take a white chocolate peppermint where you have those fatty, creamy dairy notes of the white chocolate and then have those low subtle notes of the mint would be complementary to one another. Is Christmas a hard time for you? Oh, <laughs> with I mean, peppermint, peppermint bark, everything, food, or whatever they call it. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and the funny thing is, like when I was a kid, my grandparents used to give me these mint chocolate cookies, and I loved them. And now I think back, and I was like, you know, what traumatized me in my life that I can't even eat those anymore? <laughs> so at one time, you liked the combination of chocolate and mint, but you just have a negative connotation of it built up now. Even with kids, they don't like broccoli, but you can switch something else that looks green that is like a green apple or something like that and kind of mask that and still have it underneath of there. But you're still getting that that color cue as well, too. So kind of finding something that's congruent, um, but also masking as well. Um, and that goes for a lot of different herbs. I know Lavender is a huge one of those that people are very, either they like it or they don't. And it has those calming cues to it. So trying to find ways of bringing in more common, well-known flavor profiles to pair with the lavender might help uh, a larger crowd of people try those products. 
So I should do like they, you know, the dieters and they do for babies where they hold a piece of pizza in front of their face, like take a deep breath and then put what they don't like in their mouth. Yes. Okay. Perfect. Uh, I'll do my best on that one. I mean, the salad will still be standing by the time we're done, but the pizza will be gone. All right. So we've got a lot of great information here, you guys. We usually kind of wrap things up with takeaways. So if you had maybe two or three takeaways for the listeners here when it comes to mood and flavor, you know, what are those two to three things that we should really focus on? So Heather, can I ask you to go first? Sure. Um, I think keeping in mind your mood management versus mood evoking and looking at the functional ingredients that you're trying to use in your products and working with your, your flavor house to find the right flavors that are going to pair well with those functional ingredients to evoke the mood that you're looking for to target the consumer's end needs as well as goals for your brand. And then as well, looking at the trends, keeping on top of those. I know Kaylin will go into that a little bit more, but keeping an eye on the newer generations and the self-care trends. I would say some of the takeaways of that from the trends aspect is that if when you're launching your product to the market, just pick what mood you're trying to evoke and there are a lot of things on the market that go after energy or relaxation, but like Heather talked about, making sure that when you choose your packaging, you're not choosing a red color for something you want to be calming. Or another thing that is important to the younger generations that Heather and I were talking about earlier today is the social media aspect behind it or that community. So building that buzz into getting that new flavor or being the better for you, but sharing it with others. And then lastly, it's how do you tie it all together to make this delicious tasting product? So you can make all the claims you want, but if it doesn't taste good, you're not going to sell it. Awesome. Well, thank you for that, you guys. Let's go to our finishing segment here. I'm going to ask you some quick fire questions, answer to the best and honestness of your of yourselves uh they're they're really tough i know but just try it and get through them okay let's start with you and let's say what is a flavor that puts you in a good mood one of my favorite flavors is hibiscus lemonade or just a hibiscus lemon so pairing that floral with the bright lemon citrus just puts me in that like pep in my step it's summertime and what puts you in a bad mood I am not a fan of anything that is bitter, so no dark chocolates for me. Like anything that just drives that really like back of your throat, like clench that I avoid. And what mood do you have to be in to try something new? I will try anything about once, but if you catch me on a good day, I have to be pretty happy. <laughs> Fair enough. So Heather, how about you? What flavor puts you in a good mood? Whiskey. <laughs> I'm just both thinking about and after you yeah, right? yeah, yes. No. Um, cinnamon, brown spices, those warm type of cardamoms, nutmegs, those types of flavors for sure. Why? It just brings back like fond memories of childhood, making cookies for Christmas. And we used to make our ham we put all the little cloves we push the cloves in the ham and with the orange and so pairing those citruses with brown spices is an area that i really like playing in awesome awesome so what puts you in a bad mood 
not having whiskey. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the Jack Sparrow whiskey. I'm just um, I think definitely bitter foods for sure is with me. And then anything really metallic. So sometimes kale is just not one of those things that I'm I'm a fan of. But it's make them as a surprise, but me too. Yeah. <laughs> I, feel, I, feel I feel that. All right. So great answers for the first two, three questions there. What mood do you have to be in to try something new? Mm, that's a good one. I would probably say in a maybe a zen-like mood so that I can be one with the new food and be open to experiencing it and not have any biases. Mm. Is that like... <laughs> I think a lot of food out there that ruined my zen, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. I get you. I get that. All right. Well, that's it for Fona's Flavor University podcast. We hope we put you in a good mood. I'm Corey Doucette, and I'd like to thank our special guests, Kaylin Cook and Heather Farnham. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, the flavor of Fona is the flavor of life. So go out and taste it.